John chapter 8, beginning in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Several years ago, I went on um, a conference tour to South America with Pastor Raul Reese from Diamond Bar, along with several other Calvary Chapel pastors, to teach at a conference that was being held in Colombia, and then Panama, and then Chile. And um, after the conference in Colombia, we were scheduled to fly to Chile via Panama. And at the airport in Bogota, I went through the customs, got my baggage checked, did all of the things that I needed to do. And I boarded the plane. And when I boarded the plane and then exited the plane in Panama, I discovered something. When I approached the customs officer, I had no passport. My passport was either stolen or lost in Bogota. And so I basically said to the government official, well, what do you do with illegal aliens? And he said, we put them in jail. And I said, hmm, what are my options? He said, you can contact the American embassy and try to get um, a new passport petition for a new passport, or you can go to jail, or you can purchase a ticket to Miami and return to the United States, or you can go to jail. Some of the team members offered to stay with me, and I said to them, that's not going to be helpful. Our whole purpose in coming is to preach the gospel, reach the lost, equip the saints, provide ministry for the pastors. The team proceeded to go to Chile without me. I couldn't follow them. God was going to use them to bless and encourage our brothers and sisters, but my opportunity to bless and encourage them was over. As a matter of fact, the doors closed quickly because I was going to go in a different direction. And life in a fallen world means sometimes that you go in one direction, you purpose to go in a specific direction, but for whatever reason, you wind up in a different place. I elected to purchase a ticket to Miami and go back to the United States. <clears throat> and once I arrived at the airport in Miami, I still didn't have a passport. And so... When I got to our customs officer, all I had was a driver's license and my police credentials. I proceeded to tell them I was in Bogota, Colombia. My passport was either lost or stolen. And the customs officer said, you know, it's a good day in Colombia when only your passport is stolen and you're not kidnapped. I go, yeah, I guess so. He said, I believe you. He said, welcome home. There was sufficient evidence 
that I belong there. We know that citizens from one country can sneak into another country without detection. We call them illegal aliens or undocumented aliens. But unlike this world, no one will be able to sneak into heaven without the proper credentials. If you can sneak into the United States, you know it isn't heaven. If you can sneak into any country in the world, you know that it is not heaven. Heaven is a place where you can't get to unless you have a valid spiritual passport issued by the Father with the picture of Jesus and the invisible watermark of the Holy Spirit. When did you first realize that this earth wasn't your final destination? Maybe some of you have embraced the notion at one time or another that this earth is the final destination. Maybe you have wrongly thought it doesn't really matter what I believe because whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours. You see, you know the rest of the song. The religious leaders in Jesus' day certainly believed in God. And you would be surprised at the vast differences between the Sadducees and, and the Pharisees and their belief about what happens when you die. John MacArthur notes, and I quote, The Judaism of Jesus' day was an intricate legalistic system of salvation on performing good works, observing ceremonies and rituals, and above all, keeping the law, at least outwardly, unquote. And so it was their belief that if I am a good Jew, if I am born of the seed of Abraham, if I'm circumcised on the eighth day, if I keep the law, at least outwardly observe the rites and the rituals, I'll be fine. Some people have exactly the same idea. That if I'm a good religious person and if I show up in a religious place and I pray religious prayers and I read from a religious book, then I will be fine. But nothing could be further from the truth. Remember the context of Jesus' words. It's the last day of the great feast of tabernacles or booths. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 53, you'll remember that at the end of the chapter, Jesus stands up and he says, in the, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It says in John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus claimed to be the satisfaction to human beings' deepest thirst, their deepest need. And you'll remember that at the last day, the priests would climb the ladder in the temple courtyard and they would light the massive lamps or lights called the menorim. And when they lit the lamp, Jesus stood up and he basically says in verse 12, that to be the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus claimed not only to be the satisfying solution to man's deepest need, he also claimed to be the solution to spiritual darkness. Jesus claims that if you can see him, and if you can see him clearly and understand him, you'll see everything else clearly. Human beings, apart from Jesus, continue to search in the dark. People ask the question, why am I here? Is there a God? Can I know him or it? What does God want from me? What will happen when I die? Does it?
didn't matter. Albert Camus, the, the great Algerian philosopher who was, who was basically educated in France and, and popularized atheistic existentialism, wrote in a book called The Stranger, the story of, the, of a sad man's journey to the gallows. At the end of the book, the stranger is met by a chaplain who, who urges him. He says, certainly you believe in God. Certainly you understand that there is a God. Certainly you believe that he loves you. And this, the man said, whether there is a God or there isn't a God, I don't know. And I don't care. That was the sad circumstance. You see, there will be no undocumented atheists in heaven. There will be no undocumented agnostics in heaven. No one will be able to sneak into heaven. In this passage, we learn that there are certain opportunities which come and do not return. And I believe that God gives every human being the opportunity to hear and understand and accept God's Messiah, to accept God's offer of hope and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that the opportunity can also be limited. That is, there is a time that each person is given to decide for or against the Lord Jesus Christ. Charlie Peacock used to sing a song that went, Time is a gift of love and grace. Without time, there would be no time to change. No time to be humbled. No time to be broken. Each human being is given a, a portion of time. And in that time, they have to consider the claims of Christ, the reality of the message of Christ. The religious leaders in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6 and John chapter 7 have seen the miracles of Jesus, have seen the healings of Jesus, have considered the words of Jesus and have rejected his miracles and rejected his healings and rejected his words. I want you to think carefully. Every great opportunity that you've ever experienced also brought with it an opportunity of risk and judgment. The children of Israel were told time and time again under the clear revelation of God through prophets and the word of God that God loved them, that he had a plan for him, them, that he was willing to reach out to them, to speak to them, to communicate to them, to cleanse their sin, to forgive their iniquity and to fill their emptiness. Some of you can look back on your, on your past and your life and remember every significant decision that you've ever made. Remember where it was that you decided to go to school. Remember who it was that you decided to enter into friendship and relationship. Have you ever had a failed relationship? Have you ever thought, I wish I could go back in time and that when I met that person I could just say, hey, nice to meet you. Hope I never see you again. But you don't have the benefit of being able to look into the future. But you can look into the past. And you can experience the present. And with each invitation to know and understand and receive Christ, there's the opportunity to refuse and reject Him. Look what it says, the road's direction in verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, 
I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus tells the religious leaders, I am going away. In the old King James Version, it reads, I go my way. Jesus, of course, means that he is going the way to Jerusalem. He is going the way of the cross. He is going the way of death. He will go to Jerusalem. He will be arrested. He will be imprisoned. He will be beaten. He will be cruelly affixed to a Roman cross. He will die. He will rise from the dead. He will leave this world. He will return to his father. Jesus then announces to the religious leaders their terrible fate, their tragic destiny. And you will seek me and you will die in your sin. I wonder if he said it with a tear or with a spark of fire. I wonder what his tone and his countenance The religious leaders weren't able to continue the search for the Messiah because the Messiah will have already come and left. They will continue down the road of rejection. They will continue down the road of unbelief. As a matter of fact, when we march through John's gospel, we're going to see once again Jesus will heal and they will reject the healing. Jesus will perform miracles. They will reject the miracles. Jesus will bring a man back to life and they will reject the miracle of Jesus having brought a person back to life. The religious leaders have dismissed the evidence. And in dismissing the evidence, they dismiss the truth and grace. They don't, or rather won't, recognize Jesus because they don't see who he is. They can't come to grips with the fact that God has sent the Son. Jesus has presented them repeated opportunities to understand the truth and the message of hope, and they've rejected him. It reminds me of the story of a little girl who was from a not-so-well-to-do family, but the vast majority of the family was rather rich. And so the mother and the father said to the five-year-old, Look, our rich relatives are coming over and we want you to make the best impression possible. We're going to put on your best dress and the brightest bow. When they come over, we want you to sing. And we want you to sing a great song. And we want it to be emotionally compelling. And when you get to the saddest part, we want a little tear to form in your eye. And she said, no. No, I'm not going to do it. No, no, you must do it. No, I'm not going to do it. And they waited until the relatives came over and they continued to urge her. She said, no, no, I won't do it. And the mother gave her a little bit of a pinch, hoping that some tears, she could squeeze some tears out of those eyes, but to no avail. And she marched her upstairs and into the bedroom and she said, young lady, you're going to sit here until you change your mind. And she marched back down the stairs. And about 20 minutes later, she came to the room and the girl was laughing and singing and smiling. She goes, you ready to change your mind? She said, no. What have you been doing all this time? She said, I've been spitting. Spitting on the floor, spitting on the bed, spitting on your dress, spitting on all of your clothes, spitting into each and every one of your shoes. I'm just waiting for more spit. 
That's exactly the position of the religious leaders. They have defied and disobeyed. They have rejected the miracles. They've rejected the healings. They've just rejected the message. And they're just waiting for yet an opportunity to spit on Jesus. And they're going to take advantage of it. Jesus has presented them with repeated opportunities. By the way, look again in verse 21 where it says, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. What does that mean? What does it mean to die in your sin? The person who remains willfully ignorant, the person who lacks perception, the person who fails to appropriate Jesus Christ, the person who continues to manifest a lack of desire to love him, to serve him, to know him, the person who continues in a willful, stubborn disobedience, die in their sin. Humanity is searching for a savior, a deliverer, someone who will bring them out of darkness and into light and into heaven. And when a person fails to find the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, they die in their sin. And note, Jesus uses the singular form of the word sin. In the Greek language, it's hamartei. It's singular because it's talking about the attitude inside of the heart. It is that which motivates the person rather than the thing done. To die in your sin means to die in the singular state of unbelief, of rebellion and rejection. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, that is, the earthly things, all of those things that stand in rebellion and opposition to God, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to deed to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Unbelief results in a tragic, permanent separation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And note his own words. Where I go, you cannot come. Where I go. You cannot come. He will immediately go to the cross. They won't go to the cross. He will immediately rise from the dead. They won't necessarily rise from the dead until later. He will of necessity go to heaven. Wherever Jesus is, they won't be. The atheist will not sneak into heaven. The agnostic will not sneak into heaven. The well-meaning religious monotheist will not sneak into heaven. The pantheist will not sneak into heaven. Wherever Jesus is, the unbeliever can't follow. And later in John chapter 14, when Jesus is speaking to his own disciples, remember, he will say to them, I'm the way and the truth and the life. He who comes to me. Here's what it says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
And you'll remember Thomas said, show us the Father. And he says, have I been with you so long and you don't know who I am? Jesus reminds them, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you to receive you to myself so that where I am, you will be. That's the very definition of salvation. The religious leaders won't be there. The, The disciples will be there. For the person who ignorantly, who willfully rejects the words of Jesus and somehow tries to get themselves to that place where they think that somehow God will make an exception at the very last minute are creating a tragic circumstance for themselves. The unbeliever is rejected. Because the unbeliever rejects the living water. The unbeliever is rejected because they refuse the light. And because they refuse the light, the Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus basically says to them that one day you will awaken in a shroud of darkness. G.K. Chesterton, the British philosopher and theologian, said it would be as if you woke up one morning and you looked in the mirror and you weren't there you would no longer be able to see yourself we know that human beings are sinners both by nature and by choice we're sinners not simply because we sin but because we're fundamentally sinful and to die in your sin means to die in a state of unbelief by the way what are The symptoms of the person on the road to eternal separation and destruction. The symptoms include self-righteousness, worldliness, unbelief, willful ignorance. You don't have to have all of the symptoms. You only need one of the symptoms to remain separate. And by the way, the religious leaders embrace all of them. Self-righteous, carnal, unbelieving, willfully ignorant. Look at the great divide in verse 22. It says, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. In verse 19, the religious leaders had asked the question, well, where is your father? Remember Jesus' response? You don't know me, and you also don't know my father. Now there's a second Question in the narrative. Will he kill himself? Let me ask you a question. Is that a legitimate question from sincere people who really want to know the truth? Or is this a mocking question from religious leaders hell bent on rejecting the claims of Christ? What do you think? Do you want to give them the benefit of the doubt? Let's try. Will he kill himself? Clearly, do you understand what they're saying? They are still thinking in terms of the physical and the temporal, the things that deal with sight only and circumstances only. And make no mistake about it. The religious leaders understand that Jesus is speaking about his own death. True or false? It has to be true. They understand that he's talking about his own death. What becomes an issue is the type of death and the nature of his death. And their assumption is, are you going to kill yourself? Clearly, the religious leaders believe in their twisted and warped perception that Jesus might kill himself. 
he might commit suicide. You have to understand something. In the world of the religious leaders, in the world of the observant Jew, suicide was the worst possible thing that a human being could do. In their thinking and in their understanding, self-murder sentenced the person to a permanent place in hell. The historian Josephus wrote, and I quote, The souls of those whose hands have done violence to their own lives go to the darkest Hades, and God their Father will visit the sins of the evildoers on their descendants, unquote. In the Jewish mindset, suicide not only sentenced a person to a permanent hell, but it was an invitation to bring down curses on subsequent generations. You have to understand what the religious leaders are saying. They are saying, we can't follow Jesus because Jesus is about to buy a one-way ticket to hell. Now, I want you to think how twisted and perverse is their logic. Think carefully for just a moment. The religious leaders, the observant Jews, believe that they are righteous and that they are going to heaven. They believe that Jesus is a maniacal monster capable of killing himself, headed for hell. Of course they can't follow Jesus because Jesus is going to hell and they are going to heaven. And it only reinforced their own perverted and lost condition because the truth is not only will Jesus not kill himself, but they will kill him. They're the ones separated from God. They are the ones who are self-righteous. They are the ones who are, who are carnal. They are the ones who are living apart from the promise of God and apart from God's Messiah. And they're headed for an eternity apart from God. And listen carefully. Why are the religious leaders separated from God? It isn't simply because of their self-righteousness. It isn't simply because of their desire to get to God on their own terms. It isn't simply because of their ignorance. It's because they rejected Jesus. Self-righteousness and selfishness and self-delusion are all the symptoms of separation from God. And the true disciple of Jesus is willing to follow him. And the death of Jesus will be a sacrificial death. Carnal man, unbelieving man is unwilling to take up his cross and to follow Jesus but that's because they don't understand where the ultimate result will end. If you follow Jesus in death, guess what else you will do? You will follow Jesus in a resurrection and life eternal. Do you know what you have to do in order to die in your sin? If you're an unbeliever? Nothing. Nothing. You don't have to do anything. You can just continue to live the way you're living. You can just continue to think the way you're thinking. 
The carnal man, the unbelieving man wants this world and what this world has to offer. They want an earthly deliverer. They want a human utopia that's made by science or made by philosophy. Even the unbeliever imagines a perfect world, a utopia, where everyone has everything that they need, every comfort, every peace, every safety, every security. The unbeliever imagines a world where they are satisfied, where hunger is is gone and lust satiated, freedom from death and freedom from hell. They want all of the benefits of being saved, but they want the one thing. They, they don't want the one thing that will give them life, and that's Christ. They reject the one thing that will give them hope and true freedom and forgiveness of sin and life itself. The Bible says that there are two roads. One is broad and one is narrow. And on the broad road is every man-made religion and every false philosophy. And on the broad road, there is atheism and agnosticism and monotheism and pantheism and deism and finite godism and polytheism. And the, it is an autobahn. It is a philosophical and theological autobahn where anyone and everyone can get on. And guess what? All of your sin is also welcome. But the narrow path has room only for your heart and faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. The only thing that you get to take on the narrow road is a passport that's made by the Father, confirmed by the Son, and stamped by the Holy Spirit because you have a right relationship with God in Christ. The broad road lets you embrace a distorted and a polluted view of God. The broad road will allow you to have an image of God and an image of Jesus and an image of of the Bible that still gives you plenty of space so that you can sin any way you want. But the narrow road won't allow for that kind of baggage. The narrow road is bordered by faith and by grace. That's the valid passport. Look in verse 23. It says, And he said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Jesus points to several reasons for this separation. Jesus reveals that he and the religious leaders quite literally come from two different worlds. One world is temporal and physical. The other world is supernatural and eternal. Above and below cannot be joined. And when Jesus says, you are of this world, he's not talking about the birds and the bees and the planets and the trees and the moon up above and a thing called love. He's not talking about that world. He's talking about the world that stands in opposition to to God. This is the Greek word cosmos. It's a popular word translated in our culture. We even have a magazine, Cosmopolitan. It means worldly. This is the world that stands in opposition to God. It's the evil world system. There is a world where God rules and reigns supreme, where dwells righteousness and justice and peace. There is a world where he is honored and obeyed. That's not here. Heaven will never be like the earth. 
on the earth will never be like heaven. It will stand in opposition to God. And the religious leaders, in their thinking, in their feeling, in their speaking, in their living, they oppose God. But you know what's interesting? The Bible says, For God so loved the cosmos. A world that hates Him. A world that is hostile to Him. A world that resents Him. He sent His only begotten Son. The Bible says that He came into the world, but they didn't know Him. The Bible says that He came into the world, but they didn't receive Him. The Bible says that He came and He was resisted and he was rejected. One comes from a place of beauty and perfection, from a place of righteousness and holiness, a place of purity and power. The other from a place of impurity where sin has power. One is holy, the other unholy. One is sinless, the other sinful. One is perfect and the other imperfect. The imperfect, the sinful, the unholy can't scale the atmospheric barrier. Human beings might make it to the moon. They might get to the edge of the solar system. Someone might one day make it to the very perimeter of the galaxy. But can you imagine a human being who transverses the entire universe and comes to literally the the edge of existence. Do you think he's going to be able to sneak into heaven? Not one undocumented atheist will be there. Not one undocumented monotheist will be there. Not one documented, undocumented pantheist or deist or finite goddess or polytheist. Not one person will be there who doesn't belong there. And look what it says in verse 24. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. How is that different from the other verse? Remember? Dying in your sin is an attitude. It's the attitude that is formed inside the heart that stands in rebellion against God. The sins are the actions that proceed from the attitude of rebellion. These are the words and the deeds. These are the actual transgressions that are committed by human beings day after day. And the least egregious sin is good enough to disqualify you from heaven. Again, the great poet and songwriter Charlie Peacock wrote in one of his songs popularized by DC Talk, I keep trying to find a life on my own apart from you. I am the king of excuses. I have one for every selfish thing I do. Oh, what's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicion that I'm still a man in need of a Savior. 
Jesus points out three reasons why human beings continually fail and fall short and have a life apart from God. Number one, human beings have a different origin and a different nature than the Lord Jesus We are from below. He is from above. Human beings fail because we continue to commit sin and die. That's why Jesus uses the plural form of the word hamarteis, the specific acts, the specific transgressions, the specific omissions. It isn't simply what you do. It's what you continue to do. Human beings fail because they don't believe that Jesus is God, the great I am. Look what it says in the text for yourself. Jesus says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for If you do not believe that I am. The word he in your Bible, if you look carefully, it's italicized. That means that it's not there in the original text. The power of the text itself says, unless you believe that I am the great I am. Here... The religious leaders would once again hear Jesus use the Hebrew reference to a self-existent creator. In Exodus chapter 3, remember when God called Moses from the burning bush and he calls them to deliver the children of Israel from their captivity. When he speaks to them, Moses asks, what shall I tell them in Exodus chapter 3 verse 13? The Lord's response, tell them I am who I am. You will tell them I am has sent you the true and the living God, the self-existent God. Jesus is in effect saying what the religious leaders were praying couldn't possibly be true. That he's the self-existent God. That he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That he is the angel of the Lord. That he is the angel of judgment. That he is the one who brought them out of the wilderness. That he was the pillar of light by night and the pillar during the day. That all of the manifestations of the reality of who God is in every generation is encapsulated in the person of Jesus Christ. It isn't simply good enough that you believe in a historical Jesus who lived in in Bethlehem, in Judea, and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead, somehow you have to take the leap of belief and confidence that he isn't the spirit brother of Lucifer or he isn't just um, the archangel Michael, that he isn't just a created being, that he himself is the eternal, self-existent God. And how important is it to believe that Jesus is in fact God? It's the difference between a valid and an invalid passport. We live in a world where some would suggest that belief alone, sincere belief alone, in whatever you believe, is sufficient to merit God's favor. I want you to understand something, and you need to understand this. The religious leaders believed that they were right. They believed that Judaism 
as it was taught and practiced by the Pharisees in the Sadducees in the first century with the rites and the rituals and the observations and the ceremonies and the sacrifices was sufficient to give them a right relationship with God. But Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will likewise perish. In John chapter 3, verse 18, it says, He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John chapter 3, verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. R.W. Dale said that, D.L. Moody was the only man he ever heard preach on the subject of hell who had the right to preach. For the simple reason that every time R.W. Dell saw Moody preach, it was with tears in his eyes. When the subject came up, his heart would break and his palms would sweat with or without tears. The testimony of Jesus and the testimony of the Scripture remains the same. Those who reject Jesus, those who fail to receive Him as Lord and Savior, those who fail to experience what the Bible calls the new birth, will suffer the consequences of both their sin, unbelief, and their sins. Those are the deeds committed in the flesh. The consequence includes eternal separation from Jesus. When you refuse to drink the living water, you'll experience the everlasting torment of an unquenchable thirst. When you refuse to walk in the light, you will embrace the torment and the terror of an impenetrable darkness that's completely void of light. G.K. Chesterton once said that there was only one thing certain about human beings. That they aren't what they were meant to be. And that there's only one thing certain about the cosmos. It's not what it was meant to be. Something has gone wrong. Something is terribly wrong with people and the world. And that something is sin. It separates us from God and it blinds us to God and it's fundamentally hostile to God. William Barclay writes, Into this world which has gone wrong comes Christ. And Christ comes with a cure. He brings forgiveness. He brings cleansing. He brings strength. He brings grace. He brings grace to live as a man ought to and make the world what it ought to be. But a man can refuse a cure. A doctor may tell a patient that a certain treatment is able to restore him to health. He may actually tell him that if he does not accept the treatment, death is inevitable. That is precisely what Jesus is saying. If you will not believe that I am who I am, you will die in your sins. There's something wrong with the world. Anyone can see that. 
Only recognition of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and obedience to His perfect wisdom and acceptance of Him as Savior and Lord can cure the individual soul and cure the world. We're only too well aware of the disease which haunts and wrecks the world. But the cure lies right before us. There's nothing There's nothing more aggravating. There's nothing more frustrating than to have someone that you love sick and dying. And the cure is right in front of them. And they won't take it. Many of you know that my father's been very, very ill. And he's been only given a few months to live. Day after day. Week after week. He refuses treatment. Time is a gift of love and grace. Without time, there would be no time to change. Time to be humbled. Time to be broken. Time to say yes. Time to submit. Time to stop rebelling against God. Let's take some time. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that for that person who has lived in a lingering world of doubt, that Jesus is only one way of many ways. Lord, I pray that Jesus' own words would forever ring in their ears and burn in their heart. Unless you believe that I am who I say that I am, you will die in your sins. Lord, I pray that each and every person who have, who have found themselves in a, in a position of rebellion and disobedience would, would turn from that rebellion and disobedience and turn to you, the living Lord, and walk in humility and brokenness and obedience with you. And if that's you, you need to have a right relationship with God and you don't. You've been wandering from God and you've turned from the Lord. And you've embraced a life of rebellion and disobedience, but you need to walk with them in purity and, and holiness and light. Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. God loves you. Praise the Lord. God loves you. He's not looking for an opportunity to condemn you, but to save you and to rescue you. Praise the Lord. You know your heart. You know the circumstances of your heart. God is able to see into the very depths of your soul. And He knows the truth about you. He knows if you're right or if you're wrong. If you're documented or undocumented. If you're trying to sneak into heaven through self-righteousness or ignorance. It's not going to work that way. You have to have a valid passport. It has to be stamped with Jesus. 
and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the only way that that's going to happen is for you to know Him and love Him and receive Him personally. Heavenly Father, for everyone who has raised their hand, Lord, I pray that they would pray this simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the living Lord, that He is who He says that He is, that He came to the earth, that He was sent by You, and that He lived the perfect life that I could never live, and He died on the cross for my sin, and He rose from the dead for my justification. And He's alive right now, and because He's alive right now, He can come into my heart and fully and finally change me. And I want to walk with Him. I want to obey Him. I want to love Him, and I want to serve Him. I don't want to live a life apart from Him. In the dark. In the emptiness. In the void. So I commit these things to You. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, God has marked you on the roll. Even though you might not have a physical passport, guess what? You're entered into the database in heaven. And so that when you show up at heaven's gate, you won't have to worry. Let's stand.